0: You're joining us today at North Weald Airfield in Epping Forest, Essex, England. You can tell we're at an airfield because a jet has just taken off. It is a big, blue, cloudy sky. Perfect weather for these planes. You can hear behind me, we've just had a a Mustang go past with a Merlin engine. There's a jet being refueled. And, And we're here because back in the day, RAF Northwield was one of the main fighter stations in the battles for France and then for Britain. The Hurricanes of 56 Squadron, which were based here, they flew from here across the channel to northern France, to Dunkirk, to cover the evacuation there in May, June 1940. And then, as part of the legendary number 11 group, which defended southern England from a German attack, they flew daily during the Battle of Britain through the summer and into the autumn of 1940. Alongside the RAF, there were Americans, Czechs, Poles and Norwegians all flying from here in hurricanes, spitfires, Blenheim night fighters. The airfield itself was bombed many times by the Luftwaffe, killing aircrew, soldiers and civilians alike. Over the course of the whole war, 223 people would die here or flying from here. And that's part of the reason we're here today too, because Alongside the tragic deaths, there was also the practical and very real need to replace the aircraft. 79 planes based at North Weald were destroyed during the Battle of Britain. Over 1,500 aircraft were lost overall by the RAF in those four short months of 1940. And so someone needed to get new hurricanes and new spitfires directly to airfields like North Weald. Aircraft sitting in factories were next to useless. So today... Today we'd like to introduce you to the magnificent women of the Air Transport Auxiliary and to their barnstorming leader, Pauline Gower.
1: Hi again and welcome back to Trapped History. I'm Carla O'Shaughnessy.
0: And I'm Oswin Baker and we're here to share hidden stories of unsung heroes.
1: In today's episode, to help us understand the Spitfire women, we'll be joined by Joe Rogers, petrolhead and Spitfire addict, who you might know as Instagram's That Spitfire Bird.
0: Well, we're inside now, away from, I was going to say away from the noise of taxiing uh, jets, but uh, there's a jet which is just coming in uh, outside. We're doing this interview sitting in a Dakota and this was a plane which was used during the war not only on D-Day but also where else was it used Joe?
2: Well it was used throughout the war, it was a proper workhorse of the war as a troop carrier Um, so it was dropping troops, um, operations such as D-Day, Operation Market Garden over Arnhem um, in Normandy, wow. um, and also just after the war, sorry, helicopter coming in now. Just after <laughs> the war, um, also used for um, humanitarian drops of aid and food, um, like Berlin Air Airlift, Operation oh, Manor, wow. things like that. Um, this particular aircraft we're sitting in is a D Day veteran, still has bullet holes, shrapnel holes that I, that I pointed out to you, about over 40 of them still. Yes, I see so, one just above us where we're yeah. we sitting. A proper veteran but can you imagine being in something like this which is basically a tin can there's no insulation it's just literally a thin metal skin
3: yes
2: um, and being having bullets and flak shot at you i mean it was it must have been horrendous
0: so back to the air transport auxiliary
1: i've heard of it but i'm not entirely sure so could you explain please oswin what exactly was the air transport auxiliary
0: well, I mean, it's it's the answer to that very simple logistical question, where are all the planes? I mean, OK, they're in factories. Where are they needed on the airfields, on airfields like this one at North Weald? Uh, so the question, obviously, is how do we get them there? And that's what the ATA, the Air Transport Auxiliary, that's what the ATA was there for. And over the course of the war, it's... 1,200 pilots and flight engineers they would deliver over 300,000 aircraft to where they were needed. And that's nearly 150 types of aircraft too, from Spitfires to Wellington bombers.
1: Oh, like the one Jack Newton was crewing before it was hit over Belgium. If you check out our Women of the French Resistance episode, you'll learn a lot more about Jack and, and what happened to him.
0: And one of the things that we learnt in that episode was that Yes, obviously um, there is a human need to help a downed air air crew to bring them back home. So if if their plane's been shot out from under them and they've been able to parachute out, if they've managed to escape a a crash. Um, But there was also, as well as that human need, there was a very strong practical logistical need, very much like... Uh, the need to get the aircraft to the where they were needed. And that need was that it would take 18 months, maybe two years to train a pilot from scratch. And so those downed aircrew in Europe were a really valuable commodity as well as being a human being. And so ensuring that you've got the people to fly it, is just as important as ensuring that you've got the planes to fly. And the ATA was there to get the planes to the right place. The press baron, Lord Beaverbrook, who'd been Minister of Aircraft Production during the war, he was pretty clear about the importance of the ATA.
3: They were soldiers fighting in the struggle just as completely as if they had been engaged on the battlefront.
0: It wasn't always meant to be that way, though. As originally set up just before the war, I think in 1938, at the urging, strangely, of a a director of British Airways, the ATA had a relatively limited role of shuttling people and supplies around. It wasn't about moving the planes. But as soon as war is declared, in September 1939, it becomes very clear that that role needs to be dramatically expanded. I mean, put simply, fit and able-bodied pilots are siphoned away for combat duty. So the ATA is left with, you know, remember it's called the ATA. They were jokingly referred to as the ancient and tattered airmen. I mean, if you could do the job, it didn't matter whether you were old, ancient, or tattered, or disabled. There were quite literally one-armed, one-legged, one-eyed pilots in the ATA. So that's pretty special to start with. But equally importantly, it didn't matter if you were a woman.
4: I'm
1: astonished at how quickly women were integrated into the ATA. It's New Year's Day, 1940, when the first eight women are cleared to fly. And they are an astonishing bunch. We've got some brilliant photos, which we'll put on our website, trappedhistory.com, so you can take a look at those. Um, But here are some of the amazing women. Uh, There's Joan Hughes. She was the youngest qualified female pilot in the country. And Gabrielle Patterson, who arranged a flying event at Chigwell Aerodrome, where Melitta von Stauffenberg flew. Do you remember Melitta's name? Yeah. If you check out our our Women Who Flew for Hitler, very interesting episode, Um, you'll hear more about Melitta. There was also Margaret Cunnison, who was the second Scottish woman to hold a commercial pilot's licence. And Margaret Fairweather was an instructor for the Civil Air Guard. Rosemary Reese also had an instructor's licence, and she even had her own plane. And Marion Wilberforce used her plane to ferry around hens and cows. I bet that was an experience. (laughs) And Mona Friedlander was an air taxi pilot who pulled advertising banners behind her plane for a living. And last but definitely not least, Winifred Crossley Fair towed banners and she was also a stunt pilot in an air circus, no less.
0: I, it's it's fascinating to see. I mean, even in these first eight, it's fascinating to see that they're all really accomplished pilots, engineers, and trainers. I mean, that was one of the thing which, which really got to me about the episodes we did on, on Melita von Staufenberg, on Hannah Wrights, and and even on Ricardo Morrow Tate. Yeah, you know, check those episodes out. I really urge you. And and the thing that got me, and I, I know I bang on about this, Carla, but <laughs> these women are right at the cutting edge of technological and societal change. So this is 1940, yeah? Orville Wright took to the air in 1903, and the first pilot licenses were issued in 1910. So this is just 30 years after that. I mean, we think that the, that the change we have now is mind-blowing, but for them, you go back 80 years, you go back 100 years, and it's dynamite. There is so much that changes for them. And that's the technological change if you look at society, I mean, yes, some women got the vote in 1918, but it's only in 1928 that these women, that the, all of the women of the ATA, were able to vote. And that's, so 28, that's just 12 years before they're in the ATA. I'm just again and again astonished at the pace of change, that within 12 years of all of them getting the vote, they are doing something which... 30 years before, couldn't even have been done.
1: I suppose we should also acknowledge that flying really doesn't come cheap, and many of these women, while living with spanners and greasy rags in their hands, were born with silver spoons in their mouths. Rosemary Rees's father had been a member of parliament. Both of Margaret Fairweather's parents were MPs. Marion Wilberforce was born into the Scottish aristocracy, and three others were educated in various top schools across Europe. So it comes with the territory. These are largely very privileged women. I noticed, though, with that list, we haven't mentioned Pauline Gower. So where does she fit into all of this?
0: Yeah, you're right, Carla. It's time to bring her on. So, I mean, if we're talking silver spoons, Pauline is up there with the best. Her dad is also an MP. To be fair, his father had started off as a cobbler's apprentice... But when we get to Pauline, she, yeah, she's a debutant. Her parents send her to finishing school in Paris. Her life's course is set. And then everything changes. It's 1929. Pauline is 19 years old. And in the general election of that year, the so-called flapper election, because this was when women, all women, could vote. They make up over half of the electorate for the first time. And they vote in a Labour government. Just so you know, Pauline's dad is a Tory MP, and he'd once told her, I shan't pay for you to break your neck. <laughs> That's how much he, he valued the flying. So change is in the air, and this is something which in 1929, 19-year-old Pauline recognises in her own life.
4: My thoughts turned to flying, and I decided to do it seriously. I was convinced that aviation was a profession with a future and determined to earn my living and make my career a paying proposition. It's that
1: paying proposition which I think is really key here. She's not in it for, as she herself says, the novelty, nor the adventure and dangers, nor the glory, but because she wants to be independent. So I'm just turning to you, Joe, for a moment. As someone with flying coursing through your veins, is that something you can understand about the power of independence which flying can give you? If um, you know the poem Slipping the
2: Surly Bonds of Earth, written by a 19-year-old fighter pilot, Charles, um, Gillespie McGee I think his name was, oh, right. he write, he's written this poem which I think sums it up very well, I, I can't memorise it I'm afraid, but it's something about slipping the surly bonds of earth and um, dancing the skies on laughter silvered wings and touching the face of God. I think that probably well in Spitfire anyway that would sum it up quite nicely but I think um, that is the sort of feeling you get when you're up there especially if you're amongst the clouds and you're just diving amongst the clouds and you, you it's it's not a, a snobby um, expression but you're looking down on people you're removed from it and, and you are you are you are free I guess it's you it takes you out of your real life for a little while
0: wow yeah Amazing. At the top of the show, I referred to Pauline as being barnstorming, and she was literally that. The term derives from the early days of aviation in America, where, where the best living was really made through stunts. A team of flyers would turn up at a local farm, they would rent a field as a temporary airstrip from the farmer they would leaflet everybody and then they'd give people rides that's where the term joyriding comes from as well they'd they'd loop the loop they'd do wing walking and yes sometimes they would fly through a barn and that's what Pauline does too she gets a pilot's license that's in a way sort of the easy bit for her but then in 1931 she hits the jackpot she is the youngest woman in the world To get a commercial license pauline is really focused it's a job it needs to be pursued seriously
4: women are not born with wings neither are men for that matter wings are won by hard work just as proficiency is won in any profession
1: the 30s go by in an independent blur with a friend pauline sets up the first all-woman air taxi service and then they run away, well, fly away, to the circus, touring the country in a number of air circuses, air fairs, air pageants throughout the decade. She's elected to the Women's Engineering Society, is appointed a commissioner to the Civil Air Guard, and yet there is always someone with an axe to grind. In an off quoted diatribe, the editor of Aeroplane magazine seethed about women...
3: The trouble is that so many of them insist on wanting to do jobs which they are quite incapable of doing. The menace is the woman who thinks she ought to be flying a high-speed bomber when she really has not the intelligence to scrub the floor of a hospital properly, or who wants to nose around as an air-raid warden and yet can't cook her husband's dinner.
0: (laughs) Yeah? How do you feel about that? (laughs) Well,
2: not sure it'll last long in a room with me. (laughs)
0: um so this brings us to the war and to the women's section of the air transport auxiliary okay Pauline has connections and she uses them in late 1939 to lobby for women to be part of the ATA she's under no illusions she knows that women won't be flying combat that isn't excuse the pun that isn't on the radar but she knows also that while Around a 1,000 civilian male pilots have been approached about signing up to the ATA. Only 30 of them are recruited. She also knows, because of her work with the Civil Air Guard, that there are at least 200 women pilots who have nothing else in their diaries.
1: And so she lobbies and badgers, and in December '39, Pauline gets the go-ahead. Remember 1929, the flapper election? Remember Pauline's defining year? Male pilots in the ATA are paid an annual wage of a bit over £300. And remember where we are, not the intelligence to scrub the floor of a hospital. Pauline fights, but she keeps her powder dry. Those first eight who step out onto the tarmac of Hatfield Aerodrome on 1st of January 1940 would be paid 230 quid a year If they make it out of nineteen forty alive, that is.
0: Just to give you a taste of what the ATA are up against, here's a nineteen forty diary entry from its chief test pilot, James Watson. Okay, he's one of the ancient and tattered air men, but it really tells it like it is. His nickname was Molotov, which might give you an idea about his approach to to flying. (laughs) Slightly incendiary, slightly unorthodox. Anyway, this entry happens right here at North Weald and is from the fourth of September. 1940, just a few days before the Battle of Britain reaches its shrieking peak.
3: The Battle of Britain at its height. I landed a fully armed hurricane at North Weald ten minutes after the Hun dropped 500 bombs there. The airman who waved me in was wearing all he'd got left, tin helmet, pyjamas and sea boots. He looked very amazed when I said, this war's getting quite brisk, isn't it? He had a bullet through the front of his tin hat had torn the seat of his trousers. The hangars were burning, all the buildings were partly demolished, and bomb splinters were all over the aerodrome. Still hot, I picked up a few. Delayed action bombs also blew up at intervals so my taxi could not come to collect me. Amy Johnson gave me a lift home. The damage at North Weald was depressing, but thank God, the casualties were remarkably few.
1: Wow, he gets a lift from Amy Johnson. Not bad, is it? Yeah. That's the Amy Johnson, right? The first woman to fly solo from England to Australia, who broke records from London to South Africa, London to India, and who then joined the ATA five months after Pauline got women into it.
2: I fact, they went to the pub as well. <laughs> <laughs> the King's Head just down the road. King's Head? Yeah, we still drink there. Yeah?
0: Mm. Speaking of Amy Johnson, speaking of legends, you've heard her already. But we're honored to be joined today by Joe Rogers, that Spitfire bird, the woman who delights Instagram with still flying fighters and bombers of World War II. Joe, it's wonderful to be joining you here today.
2: Thank you, Oswald. It's nice to be invited.
0: <laughs> I mean, first things first, let us end on the secret. What's it like being up in a Spitfire?
2: Um, I think the first time it's it's pretty overwhelming it's um it's an assault on the senses I would say it's you get a um it's physically and mentally just quite overwhelming you get a sense of the history of the of what's gone before what's uh, what the machines represent and you you know your the freedom that we have now um the democracy that we have now and what that stands for um but you also get the smell of getting into an old aircraft and you get that sort of the smell of the of the history the avgas the oil the bakelite etc it's it's quite a cramped cockpit as well so you you get a feel that you're really strapping the wings on and so so smooth to fly very very sensitive so it is as they say it is like you're having your own set of wings just swooping about in the sky i mean amazingly agile and powerful airplanes considering they're 80 years old is is pretty amazing Um, And where we tend to fly over Kent, obviously, is the sort of ground that would have been fought for all those years ago. And it looks probably pretty much the same from the air. You're still looking at those white cliffs and the the green and pleasant land of of Hellfire Corner. Um, And flying along the white cliffs over the Battle of Britain Memorial is is pretty poignant when you realise you're looking at it from over an elliptical wing. Um, It's just... And it's quite it's quite physically demanding as well what a lot of people don't realize is when you're you know doing a victory roll or a, a loop obviously we do that recreationally now is there's quite a lot of g but back in the day they were taking those aircraft to the limit and quite often passing out with the g force which is very physically demanding um and obviously we we're not in combat off quite often they'd have a measuresmith on their yes. tail and their pants were on fire i mean yes. amazing to think that there were 20 year old kids doing this Um, it's just it it beggars belief really you land and you think how the hell did they ever do that because it's just mentally and physically demanding even just as a pleasure flight let alone doing that six times a day in combat is well like i say you just i had a newfound i mean i respected these lads anyway but crikey a lot more respect after uh, experiencing that but it's um also extremely addictive. So here I still am five years <laughs> later, <laughs> hanging I, around Spitfires. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to
0: come. I was going to come on to that. I mean, yes. not a natural career choice. I mean, you've you, you've said talked about it as a as a voluntary and unpaid thing. I mean, flying eighty year old planes. How how does that come about? Is flying in your family? Is it in your genes? No,
2: it's not at all. I, there's no one in my family who's. There's no RAF blood or anything remotely involving aeroplanes. I think I must have been adopted,
1: maybe. Um. (laughs) Joe, there are so many things I want to ask you about. But I suppose the first is, and this relates so closely to Pauline and the women of the ATA, it's about you as a woman, about you as a woman flying planes. How is it? I mean, Pauline and the first date got the whole not-the-intelligence-to-scrub-the-floor-of-a-hospital routine. Does that still
2: rear its head? Yes, unfortunately, yes. I mean, I was very much wanted to join the RAF and, and fly as a pilot because I didn't have the sort of the wealth behind me to learn to fly powered aircraft on my own. I thought I'm definitely going to have to be paid for somehow, maybe even make a career out of it. So I did go and speak to the RAF at our careers fair at school before I chose my O-levels and had a chat to the, to the RAF chap there and said I wanted to fly in the RAF and he just looked at me and said no. And I said, well, well, why not? And he said, because you're a girl, were his exact words, which shocked me slightly, because I think that's the first time I'd really come across the sort of overt discrimination, if you like. I mean, I think 10 years after that, we had our first female fighter pilot, and her name was Jo, strangely enough. So I obviously had the right name, but completely the wrong timing which was a shame so this is what i'm saying the the women of the ata were pretty groundbreaking in their time they were not only allowed to fly they also had equal pay Um, Mm. and that's something i think we didn't get back to for many many years it's only really happened recently that women have started commanding equal pay for an equal job and even still now uh, women are very much in a minority when it comes to aviation Um, i think i read somewhere that 10% 10% of the ATA were female pilots mm. um, and I think in this country at the moment civil aviation only 5% of pilots are female so I really don't think we're there yet in, in getting back to what we were um, in 1940, 1945 which I think probably the opportunities are better now if I turned up somewhere and said I wanted a flyer I want a scholarship I think it, it would be humoured now and I, w- mm. I won't be able to get on with it but I think women do definitely still face prejudice in that regard sadly hopefully it is a little bit different 40 years ago when i was trying to do it but there we are well, it's one of the reasons that <laughs> I, I that i um continue with my instagram account sometimes i think i'll give it up but then i'll get a message from someone who says it's nice to see a woman doing that sort of thing you, you don't realize that there are women involved mm-hmm. in this um well Vintage aviation, particularly
0: your Instagram account, that Spitfire bird—it was one of the first Instagram accounts I followed when I got got into it. So, you know, it's Thank important. You very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> important. What I want to know is something which Pauline and her pilots will also have had to deal with. I mean, they're not just flying one plane, and not even just one type of plane. To be clear, literally, they're not flying the same plane day in day out and stuff. They're flying a new factory-fresh, out-of-the-box plane every day, and it's 150 different types of aircraft. I mean, one day it'll be a Lancaster bomber, the next a a balsa wood mosquito, there's hurricanes, there's spitfires, they have to be jills of all trades. I mean, when you hear about Pauline and the women of the ATA, I mean, what what goes through your mind? I mean, how do you feel?
2: I mean, (laughs) they were, like you say, jumping into... Various different types of aircraft just with well pilots' notes, if they were lucky enough. I mean, probably an instruction manual smaller than you would get for a toaster nowadays, because <laughs> all they had instructionally to get in and fly these different aircraft. And yeah. brave all or from that point of view, but also because they were unarmed and they were, mm. you know, flying around as targets, really, especially in the south of England. I think Mary Ellis actually said she was fly- delivering spitfire one day and um, an me 109 pulled up alongside her and she was oh god I've, I've i've got nothing no weaponry so she basically had to look at him and made sure that he clocked that she was a girl and just hoped that he wouldn't shoot her down and he didn't but that's you know it was, and oh also they, they flew through all weathers i mean yeah. sometimes when the ref stations were grounded for bad weather these ladies would turn up with aeroplanes that they'd delivered from Scotland, and the boys would be, Well, how the hell did you get here? Wow. A chart and a map and a, you know, Peace Super Fog, no problem, and just landed. So amazing, sort of bulletproof ladies they were. I think, you know, I would have loved to have met them.
1: And one last thing, Joe you're not just flying any old plane, you're flying planes with a history, with a very special history. You're flying planes which Pauline and her women of the ATA may have flown 80 years ago, let alone the men who actually piloted these aircraft towards the enemy. How do you deal with that, with the history of it all?
2: I think it's a privilege, really, to be involved with World War II aircraft. It's almost like being a guardian of that history. I mean, some people might say, well, why do you keep harping on about it? You know, it is history. But I think it's something that needs to be kept in the consciousness because well, to stop it ever happening again really but also just honour the memory of everything those people went through sort of wiping the oil off a of spitfire's bottom um, has a certain <laughs> romance to it even uh, of, a, of a lovely summer, summer's morning uh, when you're lying there listening to the skylarks it's it's um, it's just it's an amazing privilege that's all I can put on it really
0: Oh God it's hot in it here is isn't it It is boiling in
2: here now Yeah. Oh. the sun's swung round hasn't it
0: It's amazing feeling the feeling the plane warm up around us. We can hear little clicks as the, as the metal starts warming up. I said
1: earlier that Pauline kept her
0: powder dry.
1: This is how she puts it.
4: We are going to answer criticism in the only effective way. Not by bandying words, but by quietly getting on with the job and doing our best to make it a big success.
1: And so she and her Atta girls get on with the job, 168 of them. The odds are stacked against them. 16 will die, and they all have to have twice as many solo flying hours as men to be considered, and they have to pay for their own accommodation. But Pauline secures another first for them, something no one else had ever been able to do before. On the 1st of June, 1943, Pauline gets equal pay for her women pilots. The first time this happens for people working for the government in Britain. It's amazing. Mm. This is world-beating and groundbreaking. This is just not something that happens, but Pauline makes it happen.
0: And I, I think it's Pauline who does that rather than anyone else. I
2: think so. I think that's right.
0: Her influence also goes far and wide. Jacqueline Cochran, and and don't get me started on her, we can do a whole Trapped History series on Jacqueline. She said that she was...
4: Born in a hovel, but I was determined to soar up among the stars.
0: There's an astonishingly traumatic childhood, but like Pauline, she gets the flying bug in the 30s and is barnstorming her own way around the USA, winning trophies, setting world records. I mean, if you've ever heard of Jackie. And you know, this is trapped history, so why should you ever heard of her? It's because at the age of 47, she's the first woman to break the sound barrier. 47. And just to be clear, when she died in 1980, Jackie still held more aviation records than any other pilot, irrespective of their gender. Anyway, so there's loads of other stuff. She married one of the richest men in the world. She found a multi-million dollar cosmetics business. But for our purposes, it's about the war. Jackie sees what Pauline and her Atta girls are doing, and she wants some of it back in America. She lobbies Eleanor Roosevelt, and after a visit in mid-41 to see the women of the ATA in practice, she persuades five-star General Hap Arnold to send her to Britain in 1942 with 25 American female pilots. They learn the ropes, they fly planes from factory to airfield. Jackie later noted...
1: We landed planes like Hurricanes and Spitfire in fields where I wouldn't land my Lodestar today.
0: And then Jackie returns to America and puts what she'd learned into action. Yeah, with bells on, it has to be said. You know, this is America. There are a thousand women in the WASPs, the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, and they would ferry more than 12,500 aircraft over 60 million miles. Where am I looking? Oh, God! didn't see that.
2: Don't worry, when he comes back in, he'll do run and brakes right over the top. <laughs> You'll see it then.
0: <laughs> Four in five ferrying flights were undertaken by women, freeing up close to a thousand American male pilots for combat duty. I mean, yes, it's bigger, yes, it's brasher, but it is all down to Pauline's example.
1: The sad thing, though, is that we never get to hear, we never get to see what Pauline would have done next. Because on the 2nd of March, 1947, Pauline died in childbirth after her twins Paul and Michael were born. She was only 36 years old.
0: Yeah, I mean, I... I, I... I'm always brought back here again to to 1929, to Pauline's pivotal year. I mean, in the election, it's because of women that the government changes and it's women which made that happen. And I can't really, in my mind, I can't separate that from Pauline and her desire to break away from her own privilege to to find a career and to make that happen for other women. I still can't believe that she managed to secure
1: equal pay for those uh, female pilots that's incredible
0: it's equal pay which for me seems to be so fundamental to what she says about making things a paying proposition so i mean pauline gower we salute you we do you've been listening to trapped history written and presented by Oswin Baker and Carla O'Shaughnessy Our engineer has been MK Lee and the Trapped History theme is by Pavlo Buterin You've also heard the voices of Kiara Carruthers, Tim Redman Dennis Cambry and Jess Fisher If you've enjoyed this episode of Trapped History please tell your friends and give us a rating it really helps and head over to TrappedHistory.com for bonus episodes, transcripts the Hall of Fame and more Thanks for listening, and see you soon. I thought it wouldn't be quite this busy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> MK said to me, "Oh God, we're going to be uh, it's going to be noisy, isn't it?" I think, no, it'll be quiet. Yeah. No, There'll be a few no. flights. That's it. Well,
2: this is probably the least of the evils because there's a police helicopter.